0: chronicling one grad student's quest to study first comprehensive exams in history. And today we're going to talk about the rise of the counted world. So right now it doesn't seem too weird that the world that we live in is described by a bunch of numbers. If I want to go see a movie, for instance, I'll check out Rotten Tomatoes and I'll see what the tomato meter says about a movie. Um, If I want to know about a person, I might look at their SAT scores. If I want to know about how popular a particular politician is, there's a public opinion uh, uh, organization that'll call a bunch of random strangers up, ask them whether they're likable or whatever, and then boil that down into a statistic that we all take to be kind of this big social fact. But, it wasn't always like that. And today, I'm going to tell you a story of how the counted world arose in the 18th and 19th centuries and what effect that had on politics, okay? Now, I really wanted to tell you guys why this happened, but this is kind of the, the, the product of how difficult the the, the reading the comprehensive exams are. I have no idea. I've read three books about this topic today, and I just have no idea why the counted world arose. Maybe in a couple weeks I'll be able to answer it. The rise of the counted world allowed people and organizations to understand a much broader view of things. Um, Instead of having to, to walk around all of Britain to understand what Britain was like, you could just open up a statistical yearbook. But this came at a price. It forced people to classify things into discrete categories, to smooth out the rough edges of individual particularity. and this kind of squashed discourse a little bit. But more than this, the rise of the counted world created a new kind of thing, a social fact that had the solidity of numbers. There's this truism. You can't argue with statistics, right? And the rise of numbers describing the social world allowed people to believe that there was this thing out there called society that could be understood that had regularities, that had its own rhythms, that had its own shapes, that perhaps was even governed by laws similar to the kinds of scientific laws that people like Newton had discovered for physics. And it also let people believe that the categories that they had been using to study statistics, categories like the nation, were real and had validity to them. So a quick anecdote to explain this kind of apocle change. So in 1815, the Napoleonic Wars have just ended. Uh, Britain and France are both really bruised up. And there was a minor scientific scuffle between Frenchmen or Brits over which country had more suicides. The French said that it had to be the British because as everybody knew the British were crazy and it was because they had horrible weather. The Brits said that it must be the French men, because they had suffered through a horrible revolution, and Napoleon, and uh, they'd just been defeated. But the problem was that nobody could figure out which country had more suicides, because there wasn't a statistic available for that at all. But only ten years later, statistics about suicide were actually very widely reported, not just about the number of people who would die from a Suicide, but the methods in which they killed themselves, and also the reasons for which they killed themselves. So, in about 10 years, we went from there being a complete mystery about the number of people who committed suicide to there being an absolutely massive weight of numerical evidence about the numbers and causes of suicide. So, to talk about this more in depth, I'm going to explain a little bit about the rise of the institutions that created this kind of statistical knowledge in Britain. Now, the idea that institutions create numerical knowledge about the world is nothing new at all. In fact, it probably is the reason why we have writing. Um, The story that I've been told is that in Mesopotamia, people started to write as a way of accounting land sales and cow sales and whatever people did in Mesopotamia. At least in British history, one of the foundational acts of the nation was an act of counting and taxation. On Christmas Day in 1085, William the Conqueror, the newly arrived king from Normandy, um, he did not get the kingship without a horrible, horrible war, decided that he wanted a great Christmas present. And that Christmas present was to understand the country that he had just invaded. So he asked for numerical information about the population, the land tenure, the number of sheep, all the things that a 11th century king would want to know about his holdings. And even up until the the, the, the 19th century, there was always a great need for local information. Um, but this was decentralized, um, produced by local authorities rather than a central state. This was stuff like local magnates doing tax collection or A mayor figuring out whether a pauper asking for a piece of bread was really a pauper and really deserved that piece of bread. What's really clear is that in the 18th and 19th centuries, there was a change in the amount of numerical data that was produced and disseminated. It was an avalanche of printed data about numbers so this started really in britain in the 18th century by amateur political arithmeticians like gregory king these people would walk around and try to estimate the populations of various cities um, and the wealth of countries but it wasn't really until the 19th century that the counted world took off the big moment is 1801 and the first census so To understand this fully, we have to put this into context. In 1801, we're in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars. It had been happening for about 10 years, and it was horrible. France was incredibly successful, and Britain had been throwing men and material at it for years without a dent. And people were really worried that they were running out of people. They were worried that the countryside was being emptied and there would be no more farmers left to make any food. And also people were convinced that because of commercialization and corruption, people weren't having enough kids, that they weren't healthy enough. And so they had to answer the question, what's the population of Britain? Is it declining? Are we going to just shrivel off the face of the earth? And so they did the census. The real turning point, though, was in the 1830s. Now, in the 1830s, there was just a complete flowering of interest in numbers describing the state. And we're just going to choose a couple to talk about right now so one of the big moments was the founding of the general records office this was founded to keep tracks of births marriages and deaths that used to be kept track by the anglican church they did this mostly so that there could be a clear accounting of property rights who was related to who who lived where and so on in case there was any lawsuits later on the general records office or the gro became the chief statistical office of the country and they started to administer censuses and publish statistical information. I mean, the GRO were really, really crazy about publishing their statistical information. They believed that it was their duty to the public to educate them about what was going on so that the public could reform itself and could make good political decision. So they sent out 8,000 copies of their annual report um, to every clerk, every corner in Britain, to a bunch of learned societies, to medical practitioners, to reading rooms, to mechanics institutes, to the statistics departments of foreign governments, and even to private individuals. They would send out 9,000 free quarterly reports and 65,000 weekly reports. Um, And these were really, really hard to generate. Getting all these numbers into one place was really hard work. This is not like today when you just type in some things into excel and run a formula and everything works out well no this was really hard and i'm just going to read you guys a little bit about how hard this is and please excuse the theatrical um fiddling for the correct page and this is from uh edward higgs essay the state and statistics in victorian edwardian britain Uh, the details will be in the show notes during the Victorian period, the GRO's clerks had only simple manual technologies to undertake this vast task of data processing. Until 1911, they had to add up and present results via the use of tabling sheets and the quote, ticking method. In the case of occupational abstraction by age in the census, for example, the tabling sheets were large pieces of paper with occupational headings down one side, and named ranges across the top. These headings were then ruled across the sheet, creating a matrix of boxes into which the census clerks were to place a tick for an occurrence in the enumerator's returns of a person of the relevant age and occupation. The ticks in the columns were then added up, and the results placed in another series of columns on another sheet, giving the raw numbers of people under particular occupational headings within particular age groups. Sheets were created in this manner for each registration sub-district. In order to create tables for registration districts, the sheets for subdistricts had to be folded at the column to be totaled, and then lined up so that they overlapped. And the figures were then read off onto distinct sheets. Figures were transferred from district to county sheets in a similar manner. This was extremely exacting labor, and constant bending over work surfaces were exhaust- was exhausting for the tabler necessitating frequent breaks. That is really exhausting to read, and it must have been incredibly exhausting to do, and it might be no surprise to my listeners that the poor clerks at the GRO would often go crazy and have mental breakdowns from doing all of that ticking and folding. Now, that just tells you about how much in demand these numbers were, that this one government office should tick and fold so much data to present so many statistics to so many people. Now, it's really important to, to, to note that there was an enumeration of other parts of government as well. Um, one of the big things that really stands out in 19th century British history are blue books, which are these official books presented by royal, uh, uh, created by royal commissions about topics of, of social problems. Um, and these were just crammed full of facts. Um, and they were also, surprisingly enough, incredibly popular. In 1842, for instance, the Royal Commission Report on the Employment of Children in Mines sold 10,000 copies. These blue books were, for example, what Karl Marx used to get much of his statistical information that would play into uh, his writing of Capital. And this rage for enumeration was not at all confined to the state. Um, statistical societies popped up everywhere who were full of amateurs and reformers who were keen on producing statistical information about the places where they lived and using it to improve or to force other people to improve the places that they lived. Charles Babbage, who many people think of as the intellectual godfather of the modern computer, proposed an insane project where all of the statistical offices of Europe would gather together to find out, quote, the constants of nature and art, which included wild things like the pulse rate, breath weight, rate, rate of, weight of skeleton, and period of sucking for all the mammals, um, and the rates at which men could saw various kinds of wood, um, and the weight of potash produced from each kind of wood, and the proportion of heat produced by burning a given weight of each. What's even crazier than this wild project that Babbage proposed is that right now, that project has probably been accidentally accomplished. You could probably search Wikipedia and find answers to every one of Charles Babbage's quite eccentric requests. So, how did this new counted world affect how people saw the world that they lived in? Well, people were really, really interested in this kind of statistics. Um, And one of the interesting things about this is that they would read their statistics in tabular form, much like we have today. What's even more curious is that they also had a form of Victorian data visualization, um, some of which I'm gonna put up on the show notes, which you guys can see at historian.live. They have this really charming visualization of, of annual rates of beef production, which the guy has made different sized cows. Um, It it reminds me of USA Today. Um, And political parties would spar using statistics talking about the costs of social legislation and taxation. We can tell that there was some numeracy around that people, even at the very bottom, understood something about how numbers work. One of the reasons why we know this is that for the average working person, they actually had to do quite a bit of Uh, uh, a juggling of their own accounts to make ends meet. Um, Also, there was a huge rage of gambling amongst every rank of society, and to gamble properly, you really needed to know a little bit about basic statistics. So next time on Making of Historian, we're going to talk a little bit more about how statistics helped to structure a new kind of uh, uh, public sphere and a new kind of discussion about government. Um, Also, about how this affected Uh, British government of the colonies. Thank you so, so much for joining me. It's been a real blast. Um, The awesome intro music is by Jonathan Lear, whose album Reflection is available on Spotify now. See you next time.